My name is Michelle Norton and you're listening to me on Above and Beyond. Hi all, it's Mike Myers with another episode of Above and Beyond, brought to you by the Reengineering Australia Foundation. REA's mantra is to engage, inspire and educate students, teachers and industry about the value of STEM education and STEM career pathways. I'm here today with FNS Schools Royalty, a world champion in 2012. Michelle's from Brighton Grammar in South Australia and has gone on from there to study engineering at the University of New South Wales in Canberra as a civilian student and since then is now working for TALUS as an engineer. So Michelle, how's the career journey been for you from school to where you are now? Uh, That's a fairly good question. I didn't ever really make a direct decision to go study engineering. I followed opportunities as they came up, one of them being the opportunity to go study at ADFA but not be a military person there. So I was one of four people in my cohort that walked into uni on the first day dressed in casual clothes and sat in a lecture theatre full of 250 uniformed defence members. And that sort of set the tone for uni. We stood out and everyone knew who we were, but we didn't know who everyone else was. So in terms of the journey from there, I just kept following opportunities as they came up and it's led me to being an engineer with TALUS now. So if we go back to f in schools... What was the experience getting into f schools and then going through to a world final? It was a very, very interesting journey. So when I started F1 in schools, I didn't know much about Formula One in general or motorsport. And I did learn a little bit about that. But I also learned that for F1 in schools, you didn't want your car to be an F1 car. The physics and the science behind that didn't support having a fast car. You more wanted a rocket that was forced to have wings and wheels. And learning to work around the limitations that are put on you. So when you get your 30 page rule book and it tells you everything that you have to do and everything you can't do, and then you go, well, it's telling me I have to have a wing on the car but I don't want a wing because that's going to slow me down so you work out how to work around the obstacle that's in your way and then how to still achieve some level of performance while you're doing that and the learning how to go about that was quite a interesting experience and then learning how to do that while working in a team as well with a you know, fairly big deadline and when we we're going to Worlds we had about six months to start from scratch, new rule book, new obstacles, new things to work around and we still made it there and had a fast car at the end of it. So what was the experience going from turning up at the world final to standing on the podium? So that's an interesting one. So we had a fairly interesting journey at the world finals. We got there and our pit display was three centimetres too long. It didn't fit and so we had to go find a saw and cut it down to size and that was day one. So that didn't help us feel very confident early on. We were confident in the work we'd done but we didn't think that we were doing better than anyone else. We thought we were just one of the teams and it felt like what we'd done we'd done something differently but other teams had done all this other work that was so much so different to what we'd looked at or considered. So it was 
fairly stressful in, in some days. Some days, some days were not too bad and it was really rewarding at the end of all of that to be the team that won at the end. So if I have it right, your teacher, Mr. Reed, had a tear in his eye or two when you won. How was Mr. Reed as a teacher? Ah, yes, Mr. Reed was probably one of the best teachers I had. He was very tough on us in a way. So I used this uh, example earlier today. He would never tell you when something was good enough. He left that up to you. So when you cut your first car and you were finishing it up to paint it, he'd send you back three to four times regardless of how good your sanding actually was and tell you it wasn't good enough. And it was when you turned around and said, I don't know what more to do better, that he'd either tell you what you were missing or ask you if you thought it was good enough. And it showed us very quickly that while something might be good on one day, it might not be the best you can do the next day. So I think that was probably one of the most important things he taught us through the process. The role of a teacher in a funny schools team. How important is that? Invaluable. Mr. Reed made things possible when we worked out what we needed. He stayed around. He opened the workroom up early. He sat in there at lunches. He stayed back after school to give us access to the computers and the machines. Without his help, we wouldn't have been able to do anywhere near as much as we did. Sounds like you did all the work and he just helped you facilitate everything. That's right. If we told him we needed to find someone in this area. So when we were looking at wheel designs, we decided we needed to test them in a particular environment. So he went off, he found different options for us, came back and said, well, we can help you with these, or he'd point us to the right direction in industry, but he left all the talking with the collaborators up to us. He just helped give us that little push in the right direction but so what does it feel like to be a world champion what was that feeling on the stage i'm trying to get the emotion out i know you're very sometimes unemotional but i'm keen to find that it was very exciting i guess we're all really really happy i think in some ways we're a bit relieved that all the hard work we'd put in actually had something at the end of it um we all sort of gave up having any form of social life for six months we sat in a room and worked so it was very exciting to actually have something come out of it and i think we're all really really just excited and happy to take six months and put in a huge commitment that must have been a you must have been driven to do that um why were you driven? What, what was the, the thing that was dragging you along? It helped a lot that we were all really good, close friends outside of the F1 in schools to start off with. So we were all the same friendship group. So while we were working together, it didn't feel like work. Um, it felt like we were just having a good time and seeing what we could do. In a lot of ways, it was a challenge to us as a team to see you know, how fast can we actually make this car go. Here are all our variables. How can we try and control them? And it was the challenge of pushing the rules as far as you could to achieve something and then go see how you measure up against everyone else. And there were six people in your team? We went or through five. states and nationals with five and then... When we went to Worlds, we added one team member. So do you know where all of the other team members are now? Yeah. So Jane, our project manager, is currently working with the South Australian Water Corporation. She's in the marketing area. Spencer, who was the design engineer in our team, he 
is about to start a job with Raytheon over in Adelaide looking at one of the planes they've got some work with. Yeah, engineer? Yes, he's an, he's a mechanical engineer. No, sorry, aeronautical engineer. I believe Jake and Tom have finished. They went to London. So they've both finished their degrees now and they've both got jobs, but I can't, not quite sure where they actually are. I think they're both, uh, as part of, we should fill people in as a part of becoming world champions. There was an opportunity to go and study at London City University and two, Jake, and um, that took it up. Uh, I think um, Jake's now moved to Canada. He's got a job designing hydrogen cars, I think, or something like that in Canada. And um, Thomas is still in the UK as far as I'm aware. He did a master's degree as well. And I think he's doing something at the university, I think. And I think Mr. Reid always says that you're the five or six smartest kids he's ever had, so. He's always way too um, generous on us. So if you were to give some advice to some students coming through, what, what would you, what would be the takeout that you'd like them to understand, uh, given that it is a difficult road to get to the end? What was the, the, the guiding takeout that you might have for them? Okay, so for, for F1 in schools, it's a lot more of, there's not a right answer to any of it. It's whatever compromise you think is going to get the right solution at the end of the day or the fastest car. So you can you can rock up and your car could look completely different to someone else's, but that doesn't mean that you've designed it better or worse than someone else. It just means you've taken a different approach and every time you get to the competition, you're going to see things that someone's thought of that you haven't. And it's learning to, instead of maybe being intimidated by that, Try and understand how they got there to feed into how you make your decisions in the future. So if they've taken a completely different thought process that you can adapt or pull those missing pieces into the way you consider a problem, then that might end up with an even better result because there's no, there's no right answer and it's all how you approach it. Would you, would you recommend that students take up F1 in schools? I think the there is a lot of value in doing some stem type project because it shows you particularly if you're very heavily focused in science and maths it shows you that that gets you nowhere if you can't explain it to people and you can't promote what you're doing because you could be the smartest person on the planet and if you can't communicate what you want or what you're thinking then it's there's no value in it whereas it's very good at showing you that you can design your car but you've got to tell two to three people on the other side of a desk who've never seen it how you got there and why you well, why your wing looks that way or something similar and it's very good at letting you know that really early on rather than going through uni then through to having a job and then suddenly learning oh this English skill that I thought I wouldn't really need because I was going to go do maths is actually a really fundamental part of your job. So has it helped you in your career in Teller so far? I think so. A lot of what I'm doing at the moment at work is I am the point of contact for all the suppliers for some big acquisition projects. So any communication to those companies goes through me. So if I can't explain technical concepts, which has an added challenge of none of the suppliers are English, there's one company in France and one company in China. They can speak English, but you have a language barrier. So if I can't explain this complicated scenario really simply, then I can't do my job properly. 
And that's one thing that F1S schools was really good at showing is that if you can't simplify what you've done, you haven't done it well enough. That makes any sense. Would you recommend in engineering to students? Yes, I, I would. Maybe not specifically engineering, but the mindset behind engineering. So the problem solving, the learning how to pull a problem apart and then analyze it and put it back together in a way that works. I think that's fundamental for any industry or any job. So in the company I work for, the engineers aren't in always in the engineering jobs. Half of the schedulers are engineers, half of the project managers are engineers because they've learned how to assess a problem, pull it apart, put it back together again in a way that's achievable to solve it, which is fundamental to do a good job at anything. So that part of engineering, I'd say everyone should at least give a go. Given that you've gone from school to engineering and now you're in a fairly large defence organisation, what are the components of the jobs that you see now are more interesting than they were when you started? So a lot of what I do now is more maintaining items that have been around for quite a while. So I work on a dry dock in Sydney that's 70 years old, been in salt water for 70 years and you've got metal that's at the end of its life. But the challenges that gives you now can be more complicated than just a pure design. So instead of a simple replace a valve, if you were putting a valve in pipework in a new piece of equipment somewhere, you wouldn't have a series of space constraints like we have. So we're in replacing the valve. We're not replacing the pipes around the valve. We are just replacing the valve. So this new valve we get has to match these points in space that are fixed and that adds a new level of complexity and a new challenge into the solving of the problem that you don't get if you were to just design from scratch. And it's projects like that where maintenance can actually be far more interesting than your traditional design because you end up with so many more limitations and you've got more parts that have to move in together with it that it can need you to think a lot more and you get a lot better challenges out of it. I gather from this that you do like the challenge. Yes, it's it's a good way to make you think deeper about what you're doing and how you can do things better. So there's in in anything you have rule books of sorts if you link it back to F1 in schools because you have frameworks of standards and legislation that you, you don't get a choice, you have to comply with. And if you don't, there are very severe consequences, especially if something goes wrong in construction, because as soon as you've put someone's in, someone in harm's way and something goes wrong, that's on you. And if you could have done something differently, then that's also on you because you should try and cross out all risks as you go. So if, you're, if you take the idea of replacing a valve and you're dealing with water that can flood unexpectedly and you can't shut that water supply off really quickly, you have to put so many different safety measures in place to look after the person who's going to be in a pit somewhere that might fill with water if something goes wrong. And the thing going wrong could be completely out of your control. So in what I'm doing, we have a safety isolation point which has not failed in 70 years. The only way it fails is something runs into it. Now, I can't control a ship moving around on a wharf during the day, which might hit this isolation point and make it fail. So we're now going through and 
making additional isolation points to make sure that if that fails, there's something in place to look after the people working. And it's the challenge of trying to improve the capability of what you're working on, keeping everyone safe at the same time that is develops some complex but interesting problems to solve. Looking back in time, would you have seen yourself doing this 10 years ago? No, I probably would have laughed if someone told me in 10 years' time you might talk to 400-odd school kids and tell them what you do or that I'd be working for Talus or anything like that. I would have thought you were a little crazy. Well, Michelle, you're certainly not crazy, and I think (laughs) your experience of going from F1 on has been wonderful to hear, and um, I'm sure we'll probably get to interview you a little bit further as well sometime in the future. And I think the students will love to hear from you, so thank you very much. Thank you for having me. 